This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, radio has always been a friend to families. Families ate up what other families were doing on the radio. Classic example is Ozzie and Harriet, a real-life family that played on the simple problems of everyday life and made a half hour of enjoyment for the audiences. Ozzie Nelson was a pretty busy guy. He split music duties with Billy May and, as well, was one of the producers of the show. In tonight's episode, Harriet has been worrying a lot lately, and Ozzie, in his own sweet way, tries to help. Silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of International Sterling, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. It's uphill all the way from the bus stop at the corner to the Nelson's house at 1847 Rogers Road. A good hard climb, especially at the end of a long day. But say, look at Ozzie Nelson coming up the grade. Knees pounding up and down like pistons, elbows working, chin up, nose out, cutting the wind. Oh, he's in great form tonight. Hey, look at that man go, full speed. Now he's approaching the house, and he turns in without slowing down. A fast, banking turn. Watch that loose board on the step, Ozzy. Oh, he jumped right over it. Like a man with wings, he's on the porch, through the door, and into the house. Uh, Harriet! I'm in the living room, dear. For goodness sakes, he's been chasing you. Oh, nobody. It's just so nice and crisp out, I felt like walking fast. It's a lot of fun walking up that hill real fast. I dare you to tell that to the mailman. No, no, I really mean it. sends the blood surging through you. What's the matter? What do you mean? For your face. You asking a question or registering a complaint? <laughs> now you seem to be terribly concerned about something. Oh, I'm just a little bit worried, I guess. Worried? What about? Oh, nothing important, really. Now, if it's important enough to worry about, then it must be important. No, honestly, it really isn't. Now, Harriet, the worst thing in the world to do is to keep your troubles to yourself. If you have any worries, get them out in the open. Nine times out of ten, you'll find out you didn't have anything to worry about in the first place. Well, this isn't anything like that, dear. Well, any kind of a worry is a treacherous thing. 
does things to you, beats you down, wears you down to a frazzle. Well, I appreciate your concern, dear, but oh, really... Of course it... I'm concerned. I think I want people to go around saying, look at that poor guy. He's married to a frazzle. <laughs> Come on now, what's bothering you? Well, okay. I went down to the Emporium today and I saw some drapes I thought would look nice in our living room. Is that all? Oh, for goodness sakes, Harry, we're not living in the Middle Ages, you know. What do you mean, dear? You were afraid that I, the lord of the manor, would chop off your head just because you looked at some new drapes? Well, not exactly. It's just... Well, what did you think I'd do? Have a fit of temper, throw a tantrum, and rant and rave? What a silly thing to worry about. You have my full permission to go downtown tomorrow and buy the new drapes. Thank you, dear. Now, is that all you're worried about? No, I'm worried about how they'll look when they're delivered. I already bought them this afternoon. <laughs> I was just afraid the color might not be quite right. Well, worrying about it won't do any good. Why don't you wait and see? You liked them when you saw them down at the Emporium, didn't you? Well, yes, but suppose they don't look as good in our living room as they did in the Emporium window. Then maybe the Emporium will let us move into their window. <laughs> Well, they're pretty expensive. Be awful if they turned out badly. Look, you're not going to help anybody worrying about it. They'll probably be the best drapes we ever had. Is that you, boy? Yeah, Mom. It's us. Yeah, it's us. What are you guys so down in the mouth about? What's going on around here today? David had an arithmetic test today, and he's worried. Did you have a test, too? No, not me. Just David. Then what are you so worried about? Nothing. I'm just helping David. <laughs> Well, why are you so worried about your arithmetic test, David? Because arithmetic is my worst subject. Do you think you failed? Well, I don't know. They won't tell us till tomorrow. Well, then what's the sense of worrying about it? Because arithmetic is my worst subject. All right, then. Since you know that arithmetic is your worst subject, did you study everything you were supposed to know on the test? Oh, sure. And did you concentrate while you were taking it? Of course, Pop. Did you go back and check all your problems? Every one. All right. You did all those things, and why isn't it logical to assume you have nothing to worry about? Because arithmetic is my worst subject. <laughs> Don't you see, David, if you did everything you possibly could to pass the test, there's no point in worrying about it. You did the best you could. That's all you can do. Well, I never looked at it that way, Pop. I guess you're right. Of course I'm right. I probably passed the test okay. Maybe I even got a hundred. That's possible. Thanks, Pop. I won't worry about it anymore. That's the spirit, son. But just in case I didn't pass, Ricky, you better keep on worrying. <laughs> okay, let's go out and bat and throw the football around. Okay. Come on, I'll get the ball. Well, I have to give you credit, dear. You're really the happy gloom chaser tonight. I never saw such a family of warriors, even the boys. You must get it from your side of the family. <laughs> didn't your father used to worry a lot? Yes, he did, dear. Every time I went out with you. <laughs> only worried about that old jalopy I used to drive you around in. Well, he just couldn't understand why you didn't have a steering wheel. <laughs> you and David are just like your father. David worries about his arithmetic test, and yet he knows he did everything possible to pass it. You worry about your new drapes being the wrong color, and you haven't even put them up yet. Well, that's easy enough to say, dear, but you can't turn worries off and on like a faucet, you know. Now look at it this way. I took the car to the garage today. I could sit here and worry that maybe it's going to cost a lot of money to fix it. Well, I hope not. With Christmas coming, we have enough expenses right now. Well, it probably won't, but suppose it does. There's no point worrying about it. If it costs a lot of money, it costs a lot of money, that's all. There's nothing you or I can do about it. I suppose so. 
You're a regular rock of Gibraltar tonight, dear. Oh, and in case you're worried about where I'm going, I'm going down to the drugstore and get some ice cream for dessert. Oh, while you're down there, will you see if you can pick up a glamorous woman? <laughs> I presume that's the title of a magazine. Well, of course, dear. Don't you think I have enough to worry about with the drapes? <laughs> You want some ice cream, Mr. Nelson? Uh, Mr. Nelson? Mm, no, I'm sorry, Charlie. I was busy looking at this magazine. Uh, what'd you say? Did you want some ice cream? Uh, yes, please. A quart of chocolate and vanilla. Hi, Oz. Oh, hello there, Thorny. Harriet said I'd find you down here. What are you reading there? Oh, uh, one of these silly women's magazines. Harriet asked me to pick it up for her, just looking over this article. What is it? Stop worrying. Yeah, a, a whole big deal about people worrying. You know, same old junk. <laughs> Listen to this. We want to sweep the worry clouds from our mental storehouse and take a new lease on life. This gal claims that 90% of all people worry 90% of the time. Do you believe that, Thorny? I don't know, Oz. She may be right. Oh, it's ridiculous. You don't worry especially, do you? Well, of course I do. Matter of fact, if you want to be honest about it, I think everybody does. Got a whole list of questions here you're supposed to ask yourself. Are you troubled by tension? Do you lie awake at night? Are you troubled by anxiety? Do you fear the future? Are you worried? Yes. <laughs> Are you worried about living beyond your means? Are you concerned about little ailments? Like a pain Are in you... my right shoulder? Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of stuff. Things that people always worry about but seldom have. Oz, do you ever you... uh, get a sort of a shooting pain in your right shoulder? Right about here? It, it comes and goes. Oh, about every two or three minutes. <laughs> you see, Thorny, you even do it. Just suggest something that other people worry about, and right away you have a symptom. Oh, I haven't got it now, Oz. I just have it sometimes. Don't you ever have it? Oh, well, sometimes when I've been bowling a lot or I happen to sleep on a peculiar position. Everybody has things like that, but... I'm not going to worry about it, that's for sure. Here you are, Mr. Nelson, a quart of chocolate and vanilla. Oh, thank you, Charlie. Now, you take Charlie here. I'll bet he never worries about anything. Do you, Charlie? Well, I try not to. Of course, I'm sort of a cheerful person by nature, but worry can be a terrible thing, gentlemen. Yes, sir I think it's the cause of more evil dispositions than anything else in the world. Oh, it sure can bring a person down. Have you ever met my wife, Mr. Nelson? <laughs> Oh, I don't think I have. Is she a worrier? Uh, she used to be, yes. I'd come home of an evening, and there she'd said, worrying and worrying. She just made everybody around her miserable. And you decided to do something about it? Well, sir, I figured the best way to make a person stop worrying is to get his mind off it. So every time I'd come home and find her with a long face, I'd give her the old worry treatment. Oh, what would you do, Charlie? Well, sir, I'd go out to the kitchen, get me a couple of ice cubes, sneak up behind her, and drop them right down her back. <laughs> And, and that worked? Absolutely. She's like a new woman. I met her last night for the first time since our divorce, and she's the happiest woman I've ever seen. <laughs> Here you are, Mr. Nelson. Quart of chocolate and vanilla. Did you get my magazine for me, dear? Ozzie? Mm, oh, I, I'm sorry, dear. What did you say? Did you get my magazine? Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm just reading an article in it. Would you like to read it? No. Go ahead. I'll read it later. Yeah. 
Boy, that dinner was terrific. I think I ate a little too much. This belt must be shrinking or something. I have to unfasten it all the time after a big meal. What's the article about, dear? Oh, one of those things with a list of questions you're supposed to ask yourself. One of them are, are you afraid you're living beyond your means? Isn't everybody? And uh, are you slipping? Are you slipping, dear? <laughs> no, but your pants are. <laughs> you better fasten that belt again. Now, listen to this. Are you losing your old friends? Well, are we? Of course not. We have the same old friends we've always had. Except maybe they're a little older. Thornberries, the Dunkles, the Randolphs, the Hodges, all the same old friends. Parties, outings together, good times. Uh, where is it we were invited for New Year's Eve? No place, dear. <laughs> Are you sure? I thought you said somebody invited us to a party or something. No, not that I know of. What are the other questions in the article? Oh, it's the silly stuff. Do you feel that people are avoiding you? <laughs> Does it seem you are less popular than you once were? Well, that's a standard thing, isn't it? Oh, sure, but the idea of printing these things, telling a person how to stop worrying, that's dull, stupid stuff, isn't even interesting. Let me read you some more. Are you having difficulty making new friends? Do you feel that old friends are deliberately avoiding you? That's silly. What's silly about it? Well, for one thing, the idea of telling you to ask yourself these idiotic questions. I immediately assume that everybody who reads a magazine talks to himself. Wouldn't be so bad if the questions made sense. Do you feel that people are deliberately avoiding you? It's getting late, dear. Let's go to bed. Are all the doors locked? I think so, fine, dear. Well, we don't want prowlers walking through the house in the middle of the night. Oh, I don't know. With Ricky's roller skates scattered around, a prowler would never get past the dining room. <laughs> Something the matter, dear? No. Just got sort of a slight pain in my right shoulder. <laughs> What's the matter, dear? How long has it been since we've seen the Randolphs? Oh, it's been quite a while. Why? Well, didn't we invite them over a couple of weeks ago? Yes, we did, but they had another engagement. They couldn't come. Doesn't that seem like a weak excuse? <laughs> well, how'd you happen to start thinking about the Randolphs? Oh, I was just lying here, thinking. What was that noise? I didn't hear any noise. Sound like a loose shingle on the roof. <laughs> One of this roof will last through the winter. Oh, go to sleep. Harriet. Yes? Do you remember if I locked the garage door? <laughs> the car isn't there, dear. You left it at the shop. Oh, yeah. I can imagine all the things that mechanic's going to find wrong with it. Probably tell me we need a new motor. I wonder what a new motor costs. <laughs> Car isn't worth that much. Drag it away to the junkyard. <clears throat> Ozzie, if you don't stop tossing, you're going to fall out of bed. Read in the paper today about a man who rolled out of bed and broke his leg. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, this bed is pretty high. I think I'll sleep on the floor. <laughs> 
I hope I can get an appointment with Dr. Brown tomorrow. Well, for goodness sakes, what for? This right shoulder of mine is just killing me. smiling, cheery-faced, devil-may-care Ozzy who came striding up Rogers Road? Can this be the same man who cautiously picks his way up the street, wearing a belt and suspenders, galoshes over his rubbers, a raincoat over his topcoat, and carrying an umbrella? Yes, sir, it's Ozzy. Now he's leaving the sidewalk and circling out into Mr. Thornbury's yard. Oh, I see. A limb on the oak tree hangs over the sidewalk. It could fall on a man's head. Now he's walking along under the eaves of Mr. Thornbury's house. Well, there's an airplane flying over, and you never can tell when a wheel might drop off. Now he slips across the lawn, up the front steps, carefully avoiding the loose board, and into the house. Uh, yes, yes, dear. Come in the living room. I want you to see the drapes. Oh, uh, are those the ones you bought? Aren't they lovely? You were right. It was silly of me to worry about them. They match perfectly. Don't they seem to be a little long? Dragging back and forth on the floor is going to wear them out, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that's the way they're supposed to be. Look at the material. See how well they're made? What are you doing? Just uh, feeling this material. Doesn't look like it'd clean very well. Some of this fabric shrinks right up to nothing, you know. Well, it's supposed to clean very well. It's guaranteed. Guaranteed? Who guaranteed it? The people who made it. What people? Do you know the people who made this material? <laughs> well, of course I don't know Then them. how do you know they'll make good on their guarantee? Well, it's a reputable firm. That ought to mean something. Who says they're reputable? The sales lady at the Emporium. I suppose the sales lady at the Emporium knows the people who made the material. And who knows the sales lady at the Emporium? I don't. Well, I do, and she's quite honest. And the drapes will clean. Suppose they don't wear. They'll wear. Suppose they wear out. They won't wear out. Suppose they don't wear out. You mean to say we have to look at these same drapes for the rest of our lives? <laughs> Ozzy, for heaven's sakes, what's gotten into you? Hey, Mom. Oh, hi, Pop. Hello, David. You were sure right about that arithmetic test, Pop. I didn't have a thing to worry about. You mean you got 100? No, but I got 87. Well, good for you, David. 87? Well, that doesn't sound like such a high mark to me, son. Well, Billy Johnson only got 88, and his mother's a teacher. <laughs> Honest, Pop, 87 is considered awful good. Well, I hope so. Be awful careful about those teachers, though, especially arithmetic teachers. They can be very tricky. Give you a good mark just to get you overconfident. Then on the next exam, wham, they give you the works. I don't think so, Pop. Don't worry, I'll do okay. I'm going to get a glass of milk. Ozzy, what's gotten into you? Ever since you read the article in my magazine last night, you've been worrying about everything. Did you pick up the car tonight at the garage? Oh, yeah. It, it wasn't as bad as they thought it'd be. Just something wrong with the carburetor. 
cost uh, $3.13. Well, that ought to make you feel a little better. I don't know. It didn't sound right to me coming home. There's a, a clicking sound in the motor. <laughs> Sounds like it's going to fall apart at any minute. No, that's ridiculous. You got home all right in it, didn't you? No, I didn't. You didn't? What happened? I left it down at the gas station to have the oil changed. Well, what I mean is there's nothing wrong with the car. What's happening to you, dear? I thought you never worried about anything. Well, it's just that all of a sudden everything has started piling up on me. Your drapes can't be cleaned or they'll wear out. David's having all that trouble with his schoolwork. The car won't run. I had to walk home the rest of the way. Now, Ozzie, you're just letting your imagination run away with you. You said yourself you left the car at the gas station, and David isn't having trouble with his schoolwork, and my drapes can be cleaned. Now, stop worrying. I'm not worried, Harriet. You know I don't worry. Did you see Dr. Brown about your shoulder today? Oh, uh, yes. What did he say? He said to stop worrying. <laughs> What a pretty dress. Oh, do you like it? It's very attractive, Emmy Lou, but try not to build your hopes too high. What do you mean, Mr. Nelson? Well, it's obvious you got the dress to wear to a Christmas party, but I mean, don't feel too let down if something goes wrong. Ozzie, what are you talking about? Well, you know how things can happen. She might get all dressed, ready to go to the party, looking forward to a wonderful evening. Of course, Mr. Nelson. That's just it. The last minute your boyfriend may call up. He can't make it. His hot rod is frozen up. <laughs> Maybe his father won't lend him his tuxedo. Everybody else is going to the party, and there you sit alone in your room. Brokenhearted. But that can't happen, Mr. Nelson. Oh, you never can tell, I mean. But it can't. The party was last night. I went with my boyfriend, and I had a wonderful time. <laughs> You're brave, Emmy. You'd say you did even if you didn't. Now, if you folks will excuse me now, I think I'll go upstairs and clean up. Uh, where are my rubber-soled sneakers, Harriet? On the shelf in the closet. Why? I think I'll take a shower, and that tile is pretty slippery. Hey, Mom. Yes, David? Pop doesn't seem very happy today. What's wrong? He seems terribly worried about everything, doesn't he? He sure does. What's that magazine? Oh, this is the one that Daddy was reading last night. And there's an article in here that gives me a wonderful idea. What are you going to do? Uh, you wait and see. What's the matter, Harriet? Oh, nothing, dear. I was just thinking. Anything wrong? No, I was just thinking. Suppose something serious is wrong with a car. It'll take an awful lot of money to fix it. Well, of course. That's what I... Well, we're not sure there's anything really wrong with it. Chances are it's perfectly all right. Stop worrying. Well, I'm not worried. I was just thinking. And then I got to thinking about the Randolphs. It does seem strange they didn't accept our invitation last week. Well, I don't see anything strange about it. If they had a previous engagement, you certainly wouldn't expect them to break it just to come over here. Your shoulder's bothering you again, isn't it? What shoulder? Your right one. Oh. The one that's been giving you so much trouble. You seem to be favoring it. Do you think it's anything serious? Oh, dear, it's fine. Will you stop worrying? Say, you haven't by any chance been reading that article in the magazine, have you? How to Stop Worrying? You mean the one that started you worrying? What makes you say that? It's simply the fact that ever since you've read it, you've done nothing but worry and lie awake at night. You mean you don't think the article's any good? Well, there's nothing wrong with the article. It's 
Just you didn't read the last page. On the last page, it tells you exactly how to stop worrying. And you read the last page? Of course, and it works. It says if you want to stop a person from worrying, take his mind off himself and make him worry about somebody else. You mean that's what you just did? Of course, dear. You were worrying yourself sick, so I may believe I was worried, and you snapped right out of it. You must admit it worked beautifully, didn't it? Yes, I, I think it did. What makes you think I didn't read the last page? Well, if you'd read the last page. <laughs> Do you mean you were making believe you were worried to stop me from worrying? Are you happy with the drapes, dear? Of course. You're not worried about them anymore? No, of course not. And David isn't worried about his arithmetic? Not anymore. Pretty good article, wasn't it? <laughs> How clever of you, dear. And what a wonderful way to teach us a lesson. <laughs> just one thing, though, Harriet. It might be just as well if you don't tell anybody about this. Well, why, dear? Well, it'd upset the whole formula. The husband is supposed to be the bumbling, fumbling, stupid one who makes all the mistakes. It's the wife who's supposed to be the clever, level-headed one who straightens things out. Are you sure you were just making believe you were worried? Oh, You really put on quite an act. The roof leaking, losing all our friends, your aching shoulder. Are you sure you got all that from the last page of the article? Uh, no, dear, I'll have to confess. I got the whole idea from an old Chinese proverb. Would you like to hear it? Not especially. <laughs> old Chinese proverb say... When wife start to worry about living room drape, she give husband a big pain in the shoulder. prowling around the kitchen in the middle of the night. Oh, I, I just thought I'd get a glass of milk. I'm having a little trouble getting to sleep. Don't tell me you're still worrying. Well, to be honest with you, I, I guess I am just a, a little bit. I got sort of in the habit of it teaching you and the boys a lesson. You going to get something to eat, too? No, dear. I just heard about a wonderful way to get a person's mind off his worries. I, I don't look. It's a surprise. I'm not going to drink any hot milk, if that's what you're trying to get me. <laughs> it's funny, uh, Charlie at the drugstore told me of a fiendish thing that he used to do. It seems... <laughs> now, that's not funny. Besides, he used ice cubes. I know, dear, but ice cream is much messier. <laughs> next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Yes, Harriet, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Tommy Bernard, Henry Blair, Janet Waldo, and Jack Kirkwood. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This is Vern Smith speaking.
Stay tuned for Dimension X next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a bit of futuristic radio with another episode of Dimension X. Dimension X was not the first adult science fiction series on radio, but the acquisition of previously published stories immediately gave it a strong standing with the science fiction community, as did the choice of well-established, respected writers in the field, too, folks like uh, Ray Bradbury and Kurt Vonnegut, to name a few. Let me quote M. Keith Booker, who in his book Science Fiction Television wrote, It was not until the 1950s that science fiction radio really hit its stride, even as science fiction was beginning to appear on television as well. Radio programs such as Mutual's 2000 Plus and NBC's Dimension X were anthology series that offered a variety of exciting tales of future technology with a special focus on space exploration, including alien invasion. Though both series also reflected contemporary anxieties about the dangers of technology. One of those names deserves some attention, and that would be Ray Bradbury. He began his career as a writer of short sci-fi and horror stories that excel in their richness of language and careful plotting. If you ever had a thought about trying to do some writing yourself, I found some interesting advice to future writers that Ray Bradbury gave in a keynote address at a 2001 Writers' Symposium. Don't start writing out novels. They take too long. Begin your writing life instead by cranking out, in his words, a hell of a lot of short stories, as many as one per week. Take a year to do it. He claims that it simply isn't possible to write 52 bad short stories in a row. He waited until the age of 30 to write his first novel, Fahrenheit 451. Not bad, huh? And here's another suggestion of his. Stuff your head. To accumulate the intellectual building blocks of great writing, he suggests a course of bedtime reading. One short story, one poem, but Pope, Shakespeare, and Frost, not in his words, modern crap, and include in that lineup one essay. These essays should come along with a diversity of fields, including archaeology, zoology, biology, philosophy, politics, and literature. So now, let's enjoy some of his work. Meanwhile, the craft of those writers of yesteryear, with an episode of Dimension X entitled The Martian Embassy. Adventures in time and space told in future tense. Dimension Out of the infinitude of stars and planets in the solar system and other systems in the universe, it is almost mathematically certain that there exist other forms of life on other worlds. Someday in the future, in a thousand years, or in the next ten minutes, daring travelers through space will make contact with the inhabitants of another world. But the question is, will we contact them first or will they contact us? Come in. This is Roderick's private detective agency. Check. My name is Graffius. Graffius of Springfield. I would like to see you, Mr. Broderick. Check. What is it, Tolan? There's a guy outside. A kind of a guy? Oh, a great big guy with a big shining head and thick glasses like the bottoms of Coca-Cola bottles. 
And he looks like a professor or what something. What I mean is, does he look like a client or a bill collector? He didn't say. Okay, Iron Man. Send him in. Check. Mr. Graffius, Mr. Broderick will see you. Thank you. Mr. Broderick. In the flesh. Okay, Iron Man. Step outside. Check. If you need me, I'll be outside. I'll have to excuse Mr. Doolin. He's a very useful man if you happen to want a house moved or somebody's head unscrewed from their shoulders. His reflexes aren't too good. Hmm. He's what you might call underorganized. I suspected as much. All right, Mr. Graffius. Let's get down to business. Precisely. I would like your assistance in helping me locate something here in New York City. Just what are you trying to locate, Mr. Graffius? The Martian Embassy. Would you say that again very slowly? I came to New York to locate the Martian Embassy. Martian? Like in Buck Rogers? Precisely. Agents of the government of the planet of Mars. Dolan! What's the trouble, boss? Come out, he's a crackpot. Of course, if you wish me to leave, I will leave. But before I go, you might examine this. You'll find it quite authentic. Holy mackerel. A five-century note. Let me see that. Sit down, Mr. Graffius. Sit down. Make yourself comfortable. Dolan, get Mr. Graffius a light. Check. Okay, Mr. Graffius. Your remarks about our speckled friends, the Martians, I shall ignore. This being the year 1955, I assume you were joking. On the contrary, I'm completely serious. As it happens, I'm interested only in Martians at the moment. I see. <clears throat> okay, uh, shoot. It occurred to me in the course of my studies that we Earth people cannot possibly be the only intelligent form of life in the universe. Out of the infinitude of stars and planets, there must definitely, mathematically, be others. Since Mars is older geologically, and since it is also an atmospheric planet, its evolutionary history could easily be similar to ours, you follow me? Well, so far, I can't say no. But if this is true, then they must have been watching us, observing us, for hundreds, possibly thousands of years. What for, blackmail? Shut up, Dolan. They know, then, that we are not far from achieving space travel. Atomic rocket ships that can travel to other planets... They also know we're a militaristic, warlike race. We might conceivably set out to conquer and occupy Mars one day. In which case, they'd uh, try to get the jump on it. <sighs> Precisely, Mr. Broderick. And how would they do that? For a civilization as old as theirs, space travel would be a simple enough matter. Flying saucers. I read about Relax, it. Relax, Iron Man. Go on, Mr. Graffius. If you were planning to attack an unknown nation... What would be your first move, Mr. Broderick? Intelligence. Find out what the odds are. You have a very logical mind, sir. You would send agents to scout the nerve centers of earthly civilization and advancement. Not in Kansas City or equatorial Africa, my dear sir, but here in New York City. The most technically advanced spot on Earth. Uh-huh. And, uh, you want me to help you prove this theory of yours? Precisely. Expense does not interest me. Well, this may take a very long, long time, Mr. Graffius. After all, nobody's ever seen a Martian. I assure you, they will be very ordinary-appearing people. Very likely, they live together in downtown New York, close to the newspapers and publishers, the news cables, communication centers, and the financial center of Wall Street. 
Most certainly, they live in a private house with no servants to pry into their affairs. Some ordinary people who live in a private house in downtown New York. I might just as well look up Martians in the classified section of the phone book. <laughs> There's one other lead which might help you. What's that? They would be almost certain to subscribe to every conceivable type of newspaper, scientific journal, foreign language publication. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be something. Okay, Mr. Graphius. It's a deal. Excellent. I shall contact you tomorrow. Oh, uh, before you leave. Yes? Just as a matter of interest. Why are you so interested in meeting up with these Martians? Mr. Broderick, I wish to avert the catastrophe of a successful Martian invasion of the Earth. Naturally. I cannot go to the police or the military. I'd be laughed out of existence. So I'm doing this privately. You seem to know all the answers, Mr. Graphius. Not all of them, Mr. Broderick. Not quite all the answers. Not quite yet. Hey, boss. Here's a private address. Takes everything from Pick Magazine to the Manchester Guardian. Listen to this. Pick, look, Scientific America... The Daily News, The Daily Worker, The Police Gazette, The Journal of Engineering, Scientific Quarterly, American Psychiatric Journal. Let me see that. Oh, Dolan. Dolan, sometimes I wonder. What's the address on this? 9 West 124th Street. Which happens to be the Harlem branch of the public library. Oh. Now listen, Noodle Brain. Check all the renting agents. Find out every private house in downtown New York. And then cross-check with the magazine subscription departments of the scientific magazines. You got that? Check. I wonder. Boss, what's the sense of all this? We know there ain't no Martian embassy in New York. This crackpot is paying us $100 a day and we got to keep him happy. You understand? Yeah. Also, I've got a hunch that Mr. Graphius isn't looking for any Martian embassies. He's looking for something quite different. I'll start making with a telephone. <laughs> Which house is it, Dolan? Right down there. Number 108. You find out anything? Not a thing. I've been watching the place for a week now. Nobody comes out. Nobody goes in. I asked around. Nobody knows nothing. You ain't been blabbing around the neighborhood that we're looking for the Martian embassy, have you? Boss, uh, I'm stupid. But I ain't that stupid. Who'd you talk to? I struck up what you might call a casual acquaintanceship with those two girls standing with the baby carriages up the street. They're cute ones. Real cute. Mm. Now look, Dolan. Don't try to do anything intelligent. Just keep walking up and down. See? Check. I'm going back to the office to meet Graphius. See you later, boss. Hiya, beautiful. Hiya, Flatfoot. How did you know I was a detective? Your socks are bagging at the arches. <laughs> <laughs> well, stick around, beautiful. I'll be back in a few minutes. And we can make some beautiful music together. Listen to Romeo, Helen. The name is Dolan, honey. Iron Man Dolan. Your line is getting rusty, Iron Man. What do you want to fool around with him for? He reminds me of my husband. The big, good-natured slobby. Helen. Helen, look. Oh, hey, Dolan! Dolan, look out! Look out! Helen? 
Yes, sir. Sure. Uh, Doolin found a house down in Greenwich Village. Privately rented. Number 108 Conklin Street. Nobody seems to know anything about who lives there. Except that they subscribe to every paper and scientific journal put out. And also they have a peculiar antenna on the roof. You don't suppose your Mr. Doolin will try to get inside the house? No, he knows better. Mr. Broderick, I assure you, if that place is the Martian embassy... Doolin can take care of himself. Still, I wish you had informed me before. Well, that's probably him reporting back now. Excuse me. Hello? Yeah, speaking. Doolin? Yeah, he works. What? Oh, no. No, I can't think of any. Yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, I'll be right down. Okay, Lieutenant. Yeah, yeah, right away. Nothing the matter. Doolin is dead, Mr. Graffius. What? They found him splattered all over the sidewalk in front of number 108 Conklin Street. <laughs> ah. How did it happen? There were some witnesses. They said a building cornice dropped on him. A cornice? But how? He fell off the building next to 108, right on top of him. Come on, we can get a cab. I have to identify the body. <laughs> I'm Broderick. Oh, I'll lay your boy, Broderick. Not very pretty. Oh, mother in heaven. That's a thousand-pound hunk of concrete. Where did it come from? Dropped off the roof of 106. Anybody see it? Yes, a couple of maids pushing baby carriages. One was so shaken, we had to send her to the hospital. The other one is hysterical, but she can talk. Can't seem to get any sense out of her, though. Do you mind if I talk to her? Not at all. I'll be back in a minute, Graffius. I'll wait here. She's standing right over there with the patrolman on the beat. Uh, oh, Hanson. Yes, sir? This guy wants a few questions for the girl. Please. Please, I told you what I saw. How many times I gotta tell you? Yes, the dead man was a personal friend of mine. Would you tell me what happened, please? Helen and I were standing in front of Rathman's candy store up on the corner. We both had the babies up. I worked for Mrs. Gillian on Washington Square North. This... He, he said hello and joked a little... And he walked down the street just like he's been doing all week. Hadn't taken more than a few steps. But... What? Please, Miss. Oh, it's I... very important. I tell him, but they don't believe me. What do you tell him? How it happened. Tell me. It's too awful. Please. Well, well first he squashed. And then the stone fell on him. What do you mean, he squashed? They don't believe me, but Helen saw it, too. She saw what? First. Then it fell on him. He was mashed flat before it even hit him. Now, look, that's the story, Broderick. Please, please, let me alone. Let me go home. I told you what I saw. Now, let me alone. Let me alone. Did you learn anything, Mr. Broderick? Huh? I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. It's crazy. Mr. Broderick, if I may make a suggestion at this point, perhaps it would be better if we drop the entire matter. What's eating you? First you come at me with a chain of nonsense that you're staking real cash on. And now when we hit the solid trail, you want to call off the dogs. Or maybe you operate that way, but Broderick doesn't. May I ask, then, what do you intend doing? As soon as the cops clear out and this place quiets down, I'm going to pay a personal call on the Martian embassy. Whatever number 108 is.
far open that door. That two heads are ten fingers. I'll drill you like a platoon of rookies. Yes? Oh. Well, young man. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. Is the lady of the house at home? I'm the lady of the house. Well, uh, my name is Broderick. Uh, I represent the Manhattan Child Adoption Center. We're soliciting funds and clothing for stranded and unadopted children. I wondered if... Oh, won't you come inside? Well, we don't usually... Oh, nonsense. I'm old enough to be your grandmother. Besides, my son, Lauren, is working at home. Your son? He's a bibliographer. He writes summaries of articles and books from scientific journals and publications for libraries and universities. I see. Well, you sit down, Mr. Broderick. We get so few calls, and I do like to visit. Oh, thank you. <sighs> now, what was it you wanted to talk to us about? Oh, well, uh... I, uh, I wondered if you or your son, there's nobody else living here. No, just Lauren and I. I'll have to ask him about the contribution, but I'm sure he'd like to. Good. Uh, thank you very much. I'll send the representative to collect. Oh, please, stay a moment. I was just about to have tea. Let me pour you a cup. Well, no, thanks, really. Uh... No, young man, I insist. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm getting awfully tired of having tea by myself every afternoon. You know, I'm not very much of a tea drinker, but this seems to have a strange taste. It's my own recipe. The secret is in the brewing. That's sweet. It almost metallic. It takes a few sips to get used to, like olives. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I think I'd better be running along. Oh, but you haven't finished your tea, Mr. Broderick. I'd better be going. I'm late. Oh, you're not being very polite. Do finish your tea. No, really, I feel funny. Oh, I'll call Lauren. No, no, I'm leaving. Oh, I'm sure Lauren can help you. I'll call him. Oh, no, no. Oh, but I must, besides, you aren't well. Please. Lauren! Get out. Lauren! Lauren, hurry! Got us out of my way. No, you must stay. Yes, you struck my teeth. Let go my arm. Lauren! Let go! Oh. Get out of here! What oh, heaven? The other one. That Broderick, he was here. I drugged his teeth. He got away. Fool, idiot. Go after him. Use the pressure ray. Risk another murder on our doorstep. Are you insane? But he suspects. We'll have to take our chances. We'll have to think of some other way. How did they find us? I don't know how, but I'm certain someone else sent them. Who? I don't know. I'm afraid to let myself think. It might be them. That's the one. He bumped into a gentleman, and then he pulled at my arm. All right, miss. I'll take care of it. Come along, mister. I'm going to give you a break and take you back to the wife and kids. No, no, you can't. Sick. Sick, is it? What's the matter? Drug. They drugged me. Who drugged you? Number 108. Martians. Who? Martians. Number 108. The Martian Embassy. Well, I've seen them with pink elephants, rabbits, and mice, but you're the first one who's got marked. That's true, I tell you. Uh-huh. Come along. Now, listen, listen. Don't take me back there. Don't Come kill on. me. Look, i got to make you understand. Yeah, yeah. I'll help Look, you up the steps. Please, my name is Broderick. I'm a private detective. We'll find out about this. 
sort of thing before. Can you manage okay? We'll be fine, thank you. You've been very kind, officer. Oh, nothing at all, Granny. I know how it is with these alkies. Well, I'll be seeing you. Broderick is regaining consciousness, what? Mother. What happened? Get up. Do not struggle, Mr. Broderick. It'll be impossible for you to rise from that chair. The pressure from this ray will keep you there. Ray? What? Who are you? You've already guessed, Mr. Broderick. You mean this really is? Martian Embassy, yes. You have the honor to be the first prisoner of the Imperial Government of Mars. First Prisoner? Yes. After the invasion, of course, you will all be our prisoners. Hey, look. What sort of a business is this? No business, Mr. Broderick, as your people will soon find out. Our preparations for invasion are nearly completed now. As soon as we give the signal, our armed forces will launch a surprise attack. And then the Earth will be ours. You're crazy. Not half as mad as you, Mr. Broderick, to come muddling so foolishly into our affairs. That was a fatal mistake. So, it's death. There's no accident, then. Assuredly not. We found it necessary to use a pressure ray on your friend. The block of concrete was an afterthought. We thought it might help to avert suspicion. All right. What happens now? If you cooperate, you can look forward to a quick, painless death like your friend, Mr. Doolan. If not? This pressure ray has many delicate adjustments. It can move a pin, or it can crush a boulder. Let me demonstrate. <laughs> See, Mr. Broderick, as if an invisible vice were crushing you. What do you want? The name of your client. We are interested in knowing who is so anxious to locate the Martian embassy. The names of my clients are confidential. Oh, well. All right, all right. Shut it off, Mother. Mr. Uh, Broderick has seen the wisdom of speech. His name is Graphius. Graphius? Yeah. An unusual name for an Earthman. Describe him. Well, I don't know if I really can. Mother. Oh, oh, oh. Describe him. Oh. He, he's tall. He's got a big forehead and about 60. He wears thick glasses. He's bald. Lawrence, it sounds like one of them. Yes, it does. Contact the planet. Tell them we suspect that our plans are known. Ask for an acceleration of invasion day. At once. What about me? I am sorry, Mr. Broderick, but I am afraid you know too much now. In exactly five seconds, you will feel the full impact of the ray which faces you. 
I would suggest that you relax and meet your fate calmly. Now, wait a minute. You will feel no pain, just a wall of force engulfing oh, you. Listen, I... Five. No, you can't do this. Four. It isn't human. I know, but we are not human. Three. Yeah, but... Two. No. One. Are there any seven? Now. Sorry. It didn't work. Something's happened. The magnetic field is dead. Get it working. We've got to get rid of this one. Now, listen. Listen, you quiet. I can't understand what's gone wrong with the ray. Why would it suddenly stop like that? Perhaps I can explain. What? Practice. Joe. Yes. Laurie. Stand back from the presser ray, please. It will not function anyway. I have decontrolled your field. Lauren, it's one of them. They found us. Did you think we wouldn't? I trust you have not harmed my friend, Mr. Broderick. He's been very useful to me. Brother, am I very glad to see you. Talk about the Marines landing in the nick of time. You're free to move now, Mr. Broderick. I don't know how you got in here, Crafius, but stick around. These babies are really Martians, just like you said. They're planning to invade the Earth and take over. There will be no Martian invasion. You keep these characters covered. I'll get the police. There will be no need for the police. I intend to handle them myself. But the police alone. Do not call the police. Why not? You fool of an earthling. Don't you realize with whom you are dealing? The invasion of Earth by Mars will be like child's play compared to... Holy mackerel. They just flattened out. Like your friend, Mr. Doolan. I detest the use of violence where the intellect can rule. But unfortunately, the Martians are a threat to us. It must be destroyed. I believe you now. Another five seconds, they'd have finished me. I'm glad you didn't waste any time. There is little time to waste. The Martian invasion was to have taken place next week. Yeah, I... Hey. They never said that. How do you know? You would not comprehend. Wait a minute. There are some things here I do understand. A second ago, that pressure ray didn't work. Now you're using it like it was a toy. How did you get in here, anyway? Who are you? Another one of those Martians? No, Mr. Broderick. I happen to be a Venusian. What? A representative of the planet Venus. Venus? That's impossible. Not at all. The Martians are really an inferior race. We Venusians are much farther advanced. As much as we are over you, Mr. Broderick, the Martians would simply have conquered and enslaved your people. We Venusians felt compelled to exterminate you completely. That's impossible. Oh, no. Now that we have disposed of the Martian threat, would it better stop us? Our invasion begins tomorrow at noon. By nightfall, the earth will be ours. Brother in heaven. Either I'm completely cuckoo or... Oh. Oh, this is really on the level. You needn't edge toward the door, Mr. Broderick. You're thinking of running for help, aren't you now? I can read your thoughts quite clearly. Suppose you're going to knock me off like our Martian friends. On the contrary. Go ahead. Leave? Why not? Why don't you try it, Mr. Broderick? Because the minute I turn my back, you're going to let me have it. Suppose you try it and see. I have no interest in stuff. Go ahead. All right, Buster, you ask for it. It will do you no good. No good! You will see! Here, here, where do you think you're running from? Hey, officer, officer, listen to me. Oh, it's you, the one with the mask. Yeah, that's right. Now, listen. That story is true. They're inside that house. Inside number 108. He jumped them. Who killed them? He's the leader of the Venusian invasion. Venusian invasion? That's right. Tomorrow at noon, they're going to take over the Earth. 
Now listen. Go in that house. Martians, now Venusians, eh? Okay, that's enough for me. Come along. Do it. Do it. We haven't got much time. Now. Hey, wait. Where are you taking me? Bellevue Psychiatric Ward, my friend. Come Bellevue, on. Bellevue, no! Now, come on. No, why don't you listen to me? Why are you such a fool? Let go of me. Here, Looney is a bed bug. Come on. No! I tell you, there's going to be an invasion. The Venusians are going to invade us. Don't you understand? you got to believe me. you got to believe me. Oh, sure, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> oh, why don't they listen? Why don't they believe me? <laughs> just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future, the world of Dimension Next week, the story of Riesling, the strange blind singer of the spaceways. He traveled the space lines from Mars to Venus to the moons of Jupiter. No captain could refuse to carry Riesling and his battered guitar. He sang of all the wonders of the galaxy. But his greatest song was of the sight he would never see. The green hills of Earth. Tonight, Dimension X has presented The Embassy. A story by Donald A. Walheim, as adapted for radio by George Leppard. Joseph Julian was heard as Broderick. Barry Kroger as Graphius. Your narrator was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman, engineer Don Habit. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Aldridge Family, followed by Hopalong Cassidy. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for A Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.